Romans chapter 4 verses 1 to 8. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Thanks for that reading, Claire. It's really good to be back with you. Uh, we're super excited. Thank you so much on behalf of Jim and myself. Uh, we've been receiving your emails and your letters and just chatting with you. And it's been really great to hear how you've been kind of wrestling with some of this stuff and every single reaction is valid. We understand that. And you know, we said, haven't we, that actually the word for disciple is mathetes, the Greek word. And that comes from that root of maths, which is important that you show you're working out in maths. And we've been saying that actually we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So we want to keep encouraging you. We don't just want to kind of spoon feed the answers, but do keep coming with your questions. It might be that you get some more questions back, but isn't, isn't that true when we look at the disciples? So often, you know, it wouldn't have been easy, wouldn't it, for Jesus maybe at the beginning of the gospels, we could maybe have read that he sat the disciples down for six months, gave them a Bible school, and then they knew everything, and then they just they just went out. But no, it was kind of in different spaces that Jesus was able to kind of send them out. And they would come back sometimes and say, Well, how come we couldn't we couldn't heal that person? They were wrestling with what it really meant to follow Jesus. And he said, Oh, that that kind of thing only comes out with prayer. And occasionally he'd hear them arguing or talking or whispering and he'd say, who do you think that I am? And so there's this question and approach that we really need to be people who work it out. So keep doing that. Um, I'm going to pray and uh, welcome if you just joined us uh, for the message. It's really great. We're in the middle of a series, uh, a seven week series called Unashamed. And we really want to look at what it means to be an unashamed follower of King Jesus. What does that look like? And so I really pray today whether you already have bowed the knee to Jesus or whether you've, you, you, you've, you've never done that. We just pray that actually the Holy Spirit himself, we know unless he does it, it's, it's never permanent. We pray that he comes and Jesus said we should have confidence to ask him. He says the spirit of truth is going to come and he's going to teach you these things. So we want to encourage you as disciples, as methetes, as would-be followers, inquirers, to just ask the Holy Spirit of truth. We're going to pray now and then ask him to come and just open out today what it really means to be a follower of Jesus, an unashamed follower. So let's just pray. We just want to thank you, Lord, as I often pray, that we don't have to guess what it is that you're saying to us. We thank you for your word of truth that we have. We are so privileged, Lord. We realise that in history, Lord, various groups and, and governments and peoples have tried to ban it and burn it and bury it. But Lord, we thank you that the word of the Lord endures forever. We thank you that your word is not chained, as we hear last week from Bev. Lord, we thank you 
that you reach to us, your word comes to us in whatever restrictions that we might face. And so we just pray in these times of uncertainty, of vulnerability, of anxiety for some, of depression for some even, of just wanting to know. We thank you that you know. Would you raise our vista? We just pray, Lord God, that you would really do that today. Holy Spirit, come. And I pray you'll remind us of what it is, the story we're part of, and Lord, how amazing your great plan. We love you, Lord. We, we look forward, Lord, you're coming back. And we just pray now as we consider our time together, Lord, we just pray that you would just remind us again and encourage us, lift us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I just remember telling you, I think it was in the introduction, this is week five of seven in our, in our series on the shamed where we're looking at a few texts in Paul's letter to the church at Rome, a very young church. And I remember telling you when I came to Christ, I wasn't from a church background. I was 16 years old. And, and you could say that I came to Christ very simply. I, I, I just was at an encounter with the living God. I realised that I needed forgiveness. I realised that what Christ had done on the cross and I came to him. And I was given one book. I reminded of you that a couple of weeks or so ago that I was given one book. I thought it was the whole Bible, but it was Matthew's Gospel. But then I quickly realised that there was a grander story when I saw the lists of names in the front of Matthew's Gospel of Abraham and this great line of people who God had used through whom Christ came. I realised that I was actually part of a much grander story and I so wanted to find my place in that narrative and this whole series about being an unashamed follower of Jesus is about not only being affirmed in our own position and security, in our own salvation, if you want, with Jesus. But, you know, there's a much grander narrative. Just as we said a couple of weeks ago again, just imagine finding those couple of chapters on the floor in a park or something and thinking somehow we could understand the whole book by just focusing on those two without an intro and a middle or even an end. That would be ridiculous. Yet so often we can operate in that way, maybe just satisfied in a way with our own personal contract that I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. But you know, it's much more grander and it fuels our worship and service when we understand what God is saying to us. And so we're looking here at these snapshot texts. Again, this is week five. And this is a church right in the heart of Rome, which is ramping up. The persecution is, is just going to increase and increase. And... Um, it's a church that not only survives, I've said it before, but it thrives. Paul in verse 8 of chapter 1 says, you know, your faith has been reported all over the world. Wow, I mean, it, what an impact. You see, we're not restricted even though we feel restricted in our current circumstances. Can I say we serve a world-class deity? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Beautiful. And so we want to be encouraged with the church at Rome because it's going to get worse. And, you know, the Lord knows what we're going to face before we face it. And that's a real encouragement to us. And in half a dozen years or so, this young church, all of the teachings of Paul about standing for him, saying Jesus is Lord and not Caesar is Lord. All of these teachings are going to really come home and are really going to matter. Because there comes a point when well, however long we've been, been learning the truth of God's word and how long we've been celebrating that, that it's got to hit the road that actually we've got to call that in and that's a daily thing 
But up to now, what we've seen is it started with an overview uh, on, on, the, on the 10th of January. Please look back at the videos if you've missed that. And, uh, and then the next week, we said that actually being a, an unashamed follower, it starts with a servant heart or a slave heart, a doulos heart. You could summarise it by saying, it's not about us. And that's a beautiful attitude to have, isn't it? To when we come to service and when we come to really wanting to find our place. It's about the other. It's about the kingdom. It's about considering others better than ourselves. There's so much of this in scripture. How Paul, right at the beginning of this amazing letter, can say, Paul, I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. And then we actually said, it's really important that we understand the gospel we communicate. Because... The gospel we communicate will determine the sort of disciples we make. And it's been so good to see these videos. Uh, I've been so encouraged with a, a broad range of people and ages who are wrestling with what it is. What is it that we're asking people to say yes to? What is the gospel? And that was so key for us because it will determine the sort of disciples we make. And then last time, what we saw, and Jim took us through this, is that a disciple is evidenced not only by the fact they've got a ticket to heaven and they can say, yeah, yeah, I've said the prayer. That's fine. But it's evidenced in the everyday by righteous living. And what Jim did, he made a distinction between being declared righteous, that instant act of what, what's called justification, that instant act of forgiveness. He made a distinction between that and actually becoming Christ-like. There's an easy way of summarising that if you want. We could say that salvation, how we become, enter into a right relationship with God through Christ at the cross, that justification that we are, in a sense, uh, in the right, declared to be in the right, that act of salvation is the miracle of the moment. It's instant. We are declared that. Yet actually the process, that righteous living, as we appreciate our position in Christ, as we respond in loving obedience, that becoming like Jesus, that's the miracle of a lifetime. Some people call that sanctification, becoming like Jesus. So salvation is the miracle of a moment. Sanctification is the miracle of a lifetime. And so there's a distinction there. And we, we, we can say, I said it in the introduction, that obedience is not an enemy of grace. Loving obedience is a natural response when we say, wow, you know, C.T. Studd, who founded the mission organization WEC, he could say this, you know, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Jesus Christ be God, what a statement, and died for me. If I can get that into my heart and head, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. But how does discipleship work? What is the mechanism? Does discipleship kind of start at the New Testament? If we were doing a study in our life groups or in, in our homes or our personal studies, where would we start to look at how God calls people and to follow him and shapes people? How would we begin to look at what that is like? And Basically, I know largely from my discussions with many people, it would be quite a natural thing to perhaps start with um, the Gospels, the, the New Testament. 
Yet, actually, what we can see and what we entitled today and, and what we, we heard in that reading from Paul is, is actually that discipleship is God's tried and tested method. The way he works is not just something that Jesus invented and that called these 12 people and more and 72, etc., etc., and now us. This has always been God's, God, God, God's method to call out a people to himself. And so what we want to do today, like Paul, and we want to refer back and look at how God has called and we're going to use kind of three main examples today. And I really want you to wrestle with this today. I want you to be like the Bereans. Remember in, in Acts chapter 17, Luke tells us that the Bereans uh, were a more noble character than the Thessalonians. He tells us that. And then he says, and what they would do when they heard Paul speak, they would rush away and they would check their scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. And so it's really important that we do that. So as we work through these examples, I want to work through three examples today. You're looking at Abraham, like Paul does in, in Romans 4. He says to the Roman church, you know, this is how we're saved. And it's just like Abraham was. But also I want to look at Moses and the people as they gathered around Sinai. And then look at Jesus and the disciples around a new covenant and ask ourselves, how does that work for me? How does that work for me? Because this is God's tried and tested method. Discipleship isn't a kind of fad. It isn't a new teaching. It isn't something that's just simply New Testament. And that, that's where we see the disciples first mentioned. So we can say, oh, they are the disciples. That's where it all starts. And so it's really wonderful to see that what Paul does here, he really wants to bring in this, this, this whole purpose of God and wants to kind of say this is how God has always worked and so what he says to the church here he says you know what shall we say about Abraham when it came to salvation and responding to God in, in Romans 4 verse 4 what shall we say that Abraham our forefather discovered in this matter and it, 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 this isn't a new thing for for Paul he says it often to his churches to the Galatian church in chapter 3 verse 8 it says this Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. And so all nations will be blessed through you. So we're going to look at this mechanism today because I honestly believe if we can really start to wrestle and understand how God calls people. And if you're not a Christ follower yet, this is how God calls us. I pray you hang on in here and search the scriptures. And it's really good practice to do this. Maybe we've, we've got a question about uh, how God judges or God's attitude to, to rebellion and sin. And it's a really good idea to look at the rest of scripture and see how God is. Remember when Jesus was asked about his return. And what would happen at the final judgment? And he said, well, it's just like as in the days of Noah, Genesis 6 through 9, as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 18. So this is kind of what Jesus did. He says, look, this is how God has always, but the Father has always behaved. This is how it is. So when the Son of Man returns, the Son, and what we're going to do today is we're going to ask the question, how, how are disciples formed? What's God's way of calling us into this new life? into this new way of doing things. And um, 
So we're going to start with Abraham. And the first thing we're going to do is we see, and I've mentioned this before, that God's call always starts with a personal and an international and out there calling. It says in Genesis 12. So I'm going to take us to Genesis 12. If you've got your Bible there, Paul takes the uh, the Romans to Genesis 15. But I say, let's go back to Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abraham, Abraham, go from your country, your people in your father's household to the land I will show you. Here's a personal call. I want you to go. I want you to change direction. We heard last week about repentance from Bev. That word is metanoia. It means a change of mind, a cha- which impacts our whole thinking and direction. And there's this great personal call to Abraham. If you've got Genesis 12 in front of you, right at the beginning, the Lord said, go, I'm calling you. Go from your people in your father's household to the land I will show you. And here's a great blessing and promise, Abraham. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you and I will make your name great. And don't we say hallelujah to that? You know, when we get the, the gospel of Jesus, when we say my name is in the Lamb's book of life, I'm forgiven, I'm, 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 I'm going to be in glory forever. Don't we say hallelujah to that? But God's purpose is not only initial call, it's not only personal, it is also international. It is about being out there. It's having an out there kingdom purpose as well. So God continues it to Abraham in verse 3 and says, now we'll bless those who bless you. You'll be a blessing. I'm going to bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, this isn't just about you. And so we see here that God's way of calling his people, he starts, he always calls us with a personal and an international and out there vision and calling. Every single one without exception. Every one of us are called to discipleship. No exceptions or no excuses. And that will look very different for each of us. Out out there might be the school gates. Out out there might be our street. Out, Out there might be international literary mission. I don't know. But that's up to the Holy Spirit of mission. But it starts with this personal and international call. And the second thing that we see the way God works this mechanism is it starts with this call on a person's life. And I remember that at 16, just feeling, feeling the spirit of God, just calling me to a different way, a better way. But secondly, what we see is God's initiative, which he brings us, he brings it through covenant and sacrifice. Covenant and sacrifice. And and this is where uh, Paul picks it up with Genesis 15 as well. In Genesis 15 verse 4, the Lord repeats himself to Abraham as he often does with us, as Jesus did with the disciples. Genesis 15, then the word of the Lord came. He took Abraham outside and said, look up at the sky, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. He said to him, so shall your offspring be. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And, you know, this is what Paul talks about to the Romans and said, this is God's method. Abraham, in verse six, believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. He entered relationship. He entered the covenant with God. And a covenant's about a promise, a contract from, uh, in a sense, a greater to a lesser. And this would be very common language in the time of Abraham in the ancient Near East. It wasn't unusual language. God speaks to us in ways we can understand. 
And so God's call is personal, international, but he brings it through what's called a covenant. And that is that is signified with a sacrifice. So God gives Abraham this promise. He says, Abraham, I'm calling you out. And you can, it's not about you. It's going to be a blessing to all nations. But Abraham, here's the covenant deal. I'm going to bless you. And this is what you're going to do. And, and the Lord who brought you out of there and to give you this land to take possession. And, but Abraham says, well, how do I know? So how do I know, Lord, that's going to happen? Can I trust you, Lord, really? So the Lord said to him in Genesis 15, verse 9, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought all these to him and there was sacrifice involved. So let's just step back a little bit. The call of Abraham, what did it involve? There was a, the word of the Lord came to him. It was a personal challenge, giving him an international brief. It involved covenant language and there was sacrifice involved as well. Bring me a heifer. And that's what it is. See, God's call to us is both personal and international. And it's brought in the language of covenant and sacrifice. I want you to methetis this. I want you to work this out. Look it up. But thirdly, what's good about, what's amazing about it, what's awesome about this is God just doesn't call us and then give us a covenant and a sacrifice as beautiful as that. He gives us a seal, a sign that we belong. And so we see right there in Genesis 17. Then God said to Abraham, verse 9 of Genesis 17, as for you, you must keep my covenant. There's a great responsibility on you, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. And this is my covenant with you and your descendants. See, Abraham, you're not just in, in a silo saved. You're joining the people you and your descendants. The covenant you are to keep every male among you shall be circumcised. So what God gave Abraham was this external sign, circumcision, of what was internally going on and what which sealed the deal, the promise. And Paul says to the church at Rome here, do you know, Abraham received circumcision, but chapter four, verse 11, there in your Bible too, Abraham received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. You see, Abraham's call. Can you just try and work with this trajectory with me, please? Because if you're a Christ follower today, this is beautiful. This is where you are. God's call is personal and it's with an international brief. It's involved in, it brought to us in covenant language and involves sacrifice and Abraham was given a covenant seal and sign to remind him of his belonging and his kingdom responsibilities Abraham this is a much bigger deal okay so is, is that always how God works and I pray he's still with us because when we see how God works in scripture can I just say it's glorious it feeds our soul do you know, it's wonderful that we know the answer is Jesus. Don't we want to work it out and worship? And really, it's just so beautiful. So is that always how God works? Yes, it is. Like with Abraham? Yeah. What about another example? Well, Moses and the people of God. See, we notice we're not just saved. Imagine if, if you've seen the Prince of Egypt or you've read Exodus and chapter 12 and imagine if it finished at 12 
If, if it was all about salvation, just going to heaven, then the book of Exodus would finish at 12 and not 40. But it's about more than that. You notice, you might have noticed the clue in Exodus 3 verse 12 when God calls Moses to lead the people. He says, and you will come and worship me on this mountain. See, our destination isn't only to be saved in this life. Our destination is always toward God. You will come and worship me on this mountain. And so we see with Moses and the people, just as we saw with Abraham, a personal international brief, that it comes in covenant language with sacrifice, that there's a sign of the covenant, exactly the same with Moses and the people, are you getting the thread? So in Exodus 12, we see the people are brought out, there's a mixed multitude. In Exodus 12, the people are brought out, so there would have been some Egyptians there too. They're brought out of there, this great mixed multitude. Yet they have an international brief in Exodus 19 when they gather around the foot of Sinai. They're to represent the king that has redeemed them amongst the other nations. So in Exodus 19.4, read it. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, says the Lord, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That is so absolutely amazing. You see, God's people at Sinai were brought out of Egypt. Yes, it was a personal, but it was an international call that amongst the nations, they would, they would be God's treasured possession. And it was brought to Moses and the people, just like Abraham, in language, yes, of covenant and sacrifice. Exodus 24. I wonder why you've heard some of these words before. Just have a listen. In Exodus 24, it tells us this. In verse 4, Moses got up early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. He set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel, the whole people. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood, put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Remember, they've received the commandments, they've been called out of Egypt, there's been a personal, been an international call. Now they're in covenant and there's sacrifice involved. And then he took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people and they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. And then it says in verse eight, this is really important. Wonder where we've heard this. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Heard that before? I'll remind you about that in a moment. Wrestle with that. Here it is in Exodus 24, not the New Testament. This is the blood of the covenant. And what was the sign? What was the sign that they belong? What was the sign that they would belong to the king and a new ruler and his people? Deuteronomy 5:22. These are the commandments, the representation of what it means to be my people. These are the things externally you are. You are to strive for, to represent me well in, in all areas of life. 
Deuteronomy 5.22, these are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly. There on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud and the deep darkness, he added nothing more. And then he wrote on stone tablets and gave them to me, says Moses. Exodus 19, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so we can see here, just as in Abraham, that for Moses and the people, there was a call out, out of Egypt. There was an international call that they would be amongst all nations, representing the king who loved them and saved them. There was a multitude of people amongst them from other nations. And then we see that the Lord brought this in covenant language and there was sacrifice involved. And the, as the commandments came down the mountain, this was the external of you are a peculiar, special, wonderful, treasured possession. I pray you're wrestling with this because this is beautiful. Because I want to fast forward now to the New Testament. And we see just in the very first disciples, that it's a personal and international call. Jesus, do you remember in Mark 1.17, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. One verse. Follow me. It involves changing direction. I will make you. It involves transformation. Fishers of men, it's not about you. It's going to be a bigger project, a kingdom project. Fishing after my things. And so we see the same here in the New Testament, just as in Abraham. Just as Paul says to the church at Rome, it's just like Abraham, God's ways. This discipleship thing isn't a new trend in Waypoint Church. It isn't a new trend in the 21st century. It isn't a new trend. God has always called the people for an international purpose, sealed it with covenant and sacrifice, and said this is the sign of you being in and your belonging and your responsibility. That's what God does. And we see in the New Testament, Jesus said, follow me with an international brief that you're going to be fishers of men. And we know that he says, go into the world and make disciples, close followers of all nations. Well, what to do? Well, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, including making disciples. It's all our responsibility. And we see even as they're called the disciples, we see in that upper room, don't we? As Jesus lifts the words of Moses out of Exodus 24, we see in Matthew 26, and he, that is Jesus, verse 27, he took a cup. When he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And as a disciple who knew Exodus 24, can, you, can I say your mind would have been going 100 miles an hour? Because you would be celebrating. You'd be celebrating the time. You'd be thinking about not far from this point, the Pentecost coming up, which wasn't a New Testament thing alone. It was a time people celebrated the law of Moses coming down at Sinai, one of the things. Book of Ruth would be read and they'd be celebrating that. And you hear these words from Jesus and you're in that upper room. Just come on, think. And you're thinking, wow. So we can see Jesus projects everything from the Old Testament. Please don't say that's not right. That's not worth reading the Old Testament. Because Jesus projects it all onto himself. This was so powerful. Imagine taking the words of 
of Moses, of God himself as well. Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people in Exodus 24. This is the blood of the covenant. And Jesus here, he says he took a cup and when he gave it, give him thanks. And they were celebrating the great Exodus. And he says, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So the disciples in the New Testament were called, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers men, change you, new projects. And they were given a covenant sign with sacrifice. Well, what was that sacrifice? It's the very blood of Christ. That once and for all, as the Hebrews writer reminds us, a covenant sealed in the blood of Jesus. It's the deal. So what was the external sign for Abraham? It was circumcision for Moses and the people. It was the tablets of stone coming down. I wonder what God would do there. You see, every Pentecost, what would happen is there'd be thousands of people in Jerusalem. Have you ever wondered why in Acts 2 there's thousands of people there? The disciples didn't put a kind of social media post out saying, hey, we're expecting a big deal coming on Acts chapter 2. There's this, the Holy Spirit's going to come. They didn't know. They were already in Jerusalem celebrating this wonderful feast and also celebrating the time when Moses would come down with the tablets of stone, this external sign. So isn't it not surprising? That just at that time, when they were celebrating the time, that actually God chooses to bring down the new covenant sign. The Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost as that sign and seal of our belonging in Jesus. Come on, work with me on this. This is phenomenal. This is beautiful. And so what Paul says, what Paul says in fact, let's talk about what Peter said to start with. You know, when the people are like, crumbs, what's going on? All these people speaking in different tongues, the gospel in all sorts of languages. Peter said, these guys are not drunk. Remember what Joel says, there's going to come a time when it's not going to be on tablets of stone. It's going to be on the hearts. That external sign that you've been kind of looking to all the time, it's going to be not just an external, it's going to be an internal thing. There's going to be an internal circumcision of the heart. Paul's teaching just goes, Wow. And so we see him, Paul can say to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, he says, he anointed us in verse 22. And he that is God has set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing our full redemption, what is to come. <laughs> this just blows my mind. This just, I found it incredible. I just find this completely, utterly incredible. And he can say to the Ephesian church, the Apostle Paul, talking about this seal of the Spirit, which seals the new covenant. Ephesians 1 verse 13, look it up. And you also, Gentiles, Ephesians, who were used to all sorts of dubious practices and witchcraft and all sorts of things, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. That personal international call, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed and you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And you know what's so amazing to this newly constituted gathered people, to Greeks, to Jews, to slaves, to free the New Testament church, just as the word of God came through Moses around Sinai and says, you know, you're a treasured possession. You are 
Peter in 1 Peter 2.9, using the words of Exodus 19 again, he says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I don't know about you. It just, well, I just want to worship God. Isn't God clever? You see, it's a story. The story we are part of. The way discipleship works isn't a fad. It expands and explodes our mind beyond our personal contract with God. That's such a Western construct, invention. But we're called to be part of his people. We're called personally with an international breath. Through covenant, through us now today, that new covenant in the blood of Christ. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. God has always called the people this way. I'm going to bring this down. It's been amazing. But just like Abraham, says Paul, this isn't a new gospel, Church of Rome. This isn't a new thing. Just like Abraham, and for us today, just like Moses and the people, just like the first disciples, Waypoint, anyone who's watching this, this is our story too, if we know and love Jesus today. You know, when I first came to Christ at 16, I just knew the spirit came I had an encounter with Jesus and he came and he drew me my vision and my vista to a, a grander purpose beyond myself it was never going to be about me and I came face to face with the covenant promise of God at the cross with the blood of Jesus and I realized why that was sacrificed and why it was so important for me because I could never live a thousand lives and be good enough to do that and then when the spirit came as a deposit, it, my soul sang because I realised I was part of a bigger deal. And when I was worshipping with a group of people thinking, whoa, that's how God works in discipleship. This is God's tried and tested method. Don't accept second best. When Jesus said, I've come to give you life in its fullness, John 10, 10, he really means it. And I just want to finish with some questions because, you know, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. Hebrews tells us. Have you heard the personal call of God on your life? Maybe you're watching this thinking, oh my goodness me, what's that about? But have you heard the personal call of King Jesus to follow me today? Have you heard his call then to serve him? in whatever context that might be, to take your place in his kingdom plan. Did you acknowledge that amazing covenant sacrifice? Sometimes we can serve in churches and never ever acknowledge. I've seen this. We've never got to the point when we're face to face with the cross and the reality of that and the life, death, resurrection and glorious return of King Jesus. But have you acknowledged this amazing covenant sacrifice, Christ on the cross? And can I ask you as well, has the Holy Spirit sealed your heart, confirming 
God at work within you and your belonging. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. Oh Lord, wow. I just want to worship. I'm just going to pray right now. Maybe you need to wrestle with this some more. You've got more questions and answers. You need to lay in a dark room. I don't know. But look, God is so good. This is how he works. And he's still calling men and women and young people today to participate. And he's made it possible through the cross, that covenant, his sacrifice. And he's going to seal and he's going to thrill your heart by filling you with the spirit of God, living inside of you literally by his spirit. Sealing that you belong to him and his people. You have a grander kingdom purpose. And I pray that's true for you. I'm going to pray for you whether you bow the knee to Jesus before or not. Just can pray that the Lord really speaks to you through this. And you'll be encouraged and lifted. Because it comes at great cost. And next week Jim's going to lead us into that. It's great to talk about the privileges and the wonders and the workings of God. But it comes at great, great cost. With great privilege comes great responsibility. So let's pray. Ask the Spirit of God, come, oh Lord, thank you. Oh Lord, I just think of those disciples on the Emmaus Road when you was walking with them and you opened out the scriptures, it tells us. You opened out the scriptures and you told them about yourself, about what must happen and what, how the scriptures pointed to you. And didn't the disciples say, weren't our hearts burning within us? Oh Lord, our hearts burn when we see your narrative. But Lord, we're stubborn. Lord, might it be that we're sometimes even a bit lazy. Lord, might it be that you just Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth. Lord Jesus, you said that the Spirit of truth would come and teach us these things. Lord, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your truth. So we pray, Lord, maybe for those who've been doing this a long time, maybe... The gospel we responded to is one of, you're in, you're going to heaven. You just serve in church, it's wonderful and challenging as that might be at the same time. But Lord, I pray that we'll see our part in the grand vista and we'll worship you. So Lord, we pray that you would just revisit this. For those perhaps who've never bowed the knee, Lord, I pray that what we respond to is we really know what it is. That you call us into that international, that personal relationship, that international project. It's been achieved through covenant and sacrifice at the cross of Jesus, the new covenant in your blood law. And that you, Holy Spirit, you want to give us that deposit, that sense of belonging, who helps us day by day to live for you, King Jesus. Bless us, we pray. Encourage us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Wrestle with these things. And I pray that uh, you have a, a wonderful week as you do that and we look forward to within God's providence of being here next week when we consider what it really means when we consider the cost to follow King Jesus take care bye bye